0: I'm excited about this morning's message because we get to look at a guy that has kind of been a bit of a hero of mine. I grew up in the church. Uh, My parents uh, would teach me stories from the Bible all the time. They would send me off to Sunday school where I'd be taught story lessons or stories of the Bible. And uh, one of the stories that as a young boy I was always fascinated with was the story of this guy named Samson. Samson was this kind of like superhero sort of dude. He had all this strength. Uh, he had all the girls. He was kind of portrayed in, in in all the stories that I was taught as this guy that was just kind of this good guy going around doing lots of good things. He was kind of rescuing people and all this kind of stuff. It turns out as a kid that I kind of got the sanitized version of the story of Samson. I got the the edited version, but the Bible that has the unedited director's cut of Samson has a little bit of a different picture of this guy named Samson. Um, his life actually is a is a train wreck. He's a great example of, of how not to live your life, and his his life story is just it's fascinating. I am surprised that nobody has made a movie yet of Samson's life. It would be some pretty good drama. Before he's even born, um, unusual events surround him. His mom is barren, can't have get pregnant, and and they begin pray, and an angel comes along to Samson's mom and says, hey, you're going to have a baby, this baby's going to be unusual, he's going to be what's called a Nazarite, which was a person back then that was devoted to God, and they would take all these different vows, among those vows were vows to abstain from alcohol, but the the big one for Samson that kind of plays into his story was this vow that he would never cut his hair, the angel comes and tells his mom, this is is the baby that you're going to have, and the angel also says, Something else you got to know about this baby is that he's going to have a specific purpose in life. His purpose is going to be to take the lead in leading um, Israel out from under the oppression of the Philistines. The Philistines, they were this nation that just, they kind of oppressed Israel. Samson was going to lead them out of that oppression. Well, Samson is born, and then pretty soon, he's kind of like a young Clark Kent and that that people discover, okay, this is a pretty special, special kid. He's got this supernatural strength. And uh, he, he's, it, it's so incredible that it's, it's, it's unusual. And when I was a kid, I remember just kind of picturing Samson and even the Bible storybooks that my, my parents had. They always had Samson pictured as like this big buff Arnold Schwarzenegger type character. But now that I've gotten a little bit older and I've kind of gotten to see how God works, I don't think he was the big, buff Arnold Schwarzenegger guy. Because if he was big and buff, then his, his strength wouldn't be that supernatural. wouldn't be that extraordinary. But I don't think he was that way. I think he was more like, picture your, your dentist or like your second period algebra teacher. I think, th- I think that's more along the lines of what Samson was really like. Because he just stands out. Here's this big, strong guy. But Samson is strong. And not only does he have incredible strength, he's, all, he's got this really bad temper He's vengeful. He's a, a demanding, spoiled brat. He's a womanizer, and he thinks he can have whatever he wants. And just to give you a little bit of an idea of what this guy's like, one time when he was a bit older, bit older, he grown up, uh, he saw a Philistine girl that he wanted to marry. Now remember, the Philistines are these are the people that he's he's supposed to be like leading his people out from under their oppressive hand. The Philistines are the worst enemy. Samson sees a Philistine girl. He goes, I want that girl. Before he's even talked to her, he goes, I want to marry that girl. He goes back to his parents, and he says, get me that girl. And they're, they're going, no, Samson, that's, that's a bad idea. They try to persuade him not to do it. Samson, that's a bad decision, but he doesn't listen. And the Bible says that he looks at his parents, and he goes, get her for me. She's the right one for me. I don't care what you think. Go get her. And so the Bible tells about how his parents, they go off to get this girl, and on the way there, on the trip there, they encounter a lion, which Samson tears apart with his bare hands, the Bible says. And then they get there, and they they get this girl, and they bring her back. They have a wedding, and it was a wedding like no other wedding. During the wedding, Samson, who's also a gambling man, he goes up to 30 guys, and he says, I want to make a bet with you guys. If you guys can guess the answer to my riddle, I'm going to tell you, then I will owe you thirty sets of clothing. If you can't guess the answer, then you're going to owe me thirty sets of clothing. Now he's not a very good gambler because I mean at least gamble on some like Mariners tickets or Seahawks tickets t- tickets, but thirty sets of clothing. Anyways, so the guys can't guess the answer, and what they they end up going to Samson's new bride and they they te- they ask her, hey, can you go to Samson and can you ask ask him what the answer is to to or, or can you figure out what the answer is so you can tell us? This is all happening during this wedding. They tell her or she tells them the answer. Samson is enraged. He gets so ticked off that he goes out. Um, he finds 30 guys. He says, give me your clothes. They say, we're well, my dead body. He literally kills all of them and takes all their clothes off of their dead bodies. And then he, he takes the clothes back and he gives the clothes to these guys. This is Samson. He's a little unusual that way. And then he ends up leaving the wedding, sulking back home to to live with his dad and mom, leaving his new bride all alone, pulls a runaway groom, and just goes heading off. Well, lots of uh, months pass, and then Samson decides to return to his new wife, only to discover that she's married another man. And he's so mad that the Bible says he caught 300 foxes, he ties their tails together, Then he fastened a torch to every pair of tails, lit the torches, and let the foxes loose in the standing grain of the Philistines. He burned up the shocks and standing grain together with the vineyards and olive groves. This was a huge, huge loss for the Philistines. The Philistines, of course, they're not very happy about their crops, so they kill Samson's new bride. They kill Samson's new bride's family, and what does Samson do? He, he takes revenge. And the Bible says that he goes out and he gets the, the jawbone of a donkey. I don't even want to know how he got that jawbone of that donkey. But he gets a jaw, jawbone from a donkey. And with it, he goes out and he uses it as a weapon to kill 1,000 Philistines. That's one zero zero zero, All by himself. This guy, he's got lots of strength. He's got a really bad temper. And, and he's just one of a kind. And, you know, at first glance, it kind of seems like this is kind of confusing. The Bible actually says that the way he he was able to have such great strength, he was able to take out these 1,000 guys with a jawbone because the Bible says the Spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon him, enabling him, which kind of seems like a weird deal. Like, why would God enable a man to go out and take out 1,000 guys with a donkey's jawbone? And it's perplexing until you go back and remember God's purpose for Samson's life. God's purpose for Samson's life was that he would defeat these Philistine guys and and lead Israel out from under their oppressive hand. And Samson doesn't even know it, but he's fulfilling God's purpose for his life. He's just going about it the hard way. The really, really hard way. And you might not know this, but, but God created each one of us in this room he created us for a specific purpose and a lot of people you know we get all tied up in knots about trying to figure out god's purpose for our life and trying to just figure out what his his exact will is and trying to just figure out who we are what god's created us to be and and i don't think that that this is necessarily how it works i spent so much time as a teenager and then so much time as a as a college student just kind of stressing out about what God wanted for me, figuring out his plan for my life, his big, grand purpose and plan, trying to just wrestle through that. But I think the wrong question to ask is, God, what is your purpose for my life? God, what's your will for my life? I think that's the wrong question, the wrong questions to be asking. The better question to be asking is, God, how do you want me to follow and live for you today? What does your word say about this day? What does your word say about how you want me to live for you today? Because when it comes to his purpose and will for your life, he's gonna accomplish his purposes for your life, whether you get it figured out or not. He's just gonna. The Bible says many are the plans in a person's heart. So you you, you got lots of plans. You want to grow up. You want to be a doctor. You want to be a you want to be a whatever a firefighter. Whatever you got. You want to you want to get married one day. You want to one day uh, move down to California because it doesn't rain all the time down there and. Doesn't Slater Road doesn't get closed and backup traffic all over town and all that kind of stress. You're like, I'm going to move somewhere where it's hot. I've got some plans for my life. The Bible says many are the plans in a person's heart, but it is the Lord's purpose that prevails. It is the Lord's purpose that prevails. His purpose for your life will prevail. The question is, are you going to get there the hard way like Samson does or the easier way? And Samson is a classic example of what it looks like for God's purpose uh, being accomplished in your life the hard way. Did you notice what was happening as Samson's burning up the Philistine fields? Did you notice what's happening as he's taking out 1,000 Philistine men with the jawbone of a donkey? He is accomplishing God's purpose for his life, which is to deliver the Israelites from the Philistines. He doesn't even know it. And Samson, he's making some really stupid decisions, but despite that, God is still working through his life to accomplish his purpose. And I love that about God because I make a lot of stupid decisions and mistakes in life. But God will work through my bad decisions and mistakes and your bad decisions and mistakes to accomplish his purpose. But there's a better way. There's a better way. The better way is to follow him, to obey him, to listen to him one day, one step at a time. And whenever we find ourselves stuck in a cycle of one bad decision after another, things don't usually just magically get better on their own. In fact, a lot of times they usually get worse, which is exactly what happens to Samson. Listen to what the Bible says happened next. It says, sometime later, he fell in love with a woman in the valley of Sorek, whose name was Delilah. The rulers of the Philistines went to her and said, See if you can lure him into showing you the secret of his great strength and how we can overpower him so we may tie him up and subdue him. Each one of us will give you 1,100 shekels of silver. So this kind of has the makings of a James Bond movie. You've got like the superhero dude. You've got the female agent. You've got love. You've got money. You've got the bad guys that are, that are you know, the Philstein mafia. They're offering to pay her a lot of money to sell her boyfriend. Kind of like James Bond going on here. But Delilah said to Samson later on, she says, Tell me the secret of your great strength, and how you can be tied up and subdued. Samson answered her, If anyone ties me with seven fresh bowstrings that have not been dried, I'll become as weak as any other man. Then the rulers of the Philistines brought her seven fresh bowstrings that had not been dried, and she tied them, or tied him with them. With men hidden in the room, she called to him, Samson the Philistines are upon you but he snapped the bowstrings as easily as a piece of string snaps when it comes close to a flame so the secret of his strength was not discovered and rather than leave Delilah in that moment guess what he does he stays which is another bad decision you know you think that your girlfriend betrays you to the enemy that wants to capture you it'd be time to have a conversation like you know, this just isn't working out. You know, I think maybe we should just be friends. You know, we'll still talk to each other, but let's just kind of maybe go our, our different ways, move on. Not Samson, he stays. And then Delilah said to Samson, "You have made a fool of me. You lied to me. Come now, tell me how can you, how can you be tied?" And he said, "If anyone ties me securely with new ropes that have never been used, I'll become as weak as any other man." So Delilah took new ropes. And tied him with them. Then with men hidden in the room, she calls to him. "You, Samson, the Philistines are upon you. But he snapped the ropes off his arms as if they were threads, the Bible says. And does Samson leave her? No. Another bad decision, Samson stays. Delilah then said to Samson, all this time you've been making a fool of me and lying to me. Tell me, how can you be tied? And he replied, if you weave the seven braids of my head, apparently he's got dreadlocks, into the fabric on the loom and tighten it with the pin, I'll become as weak as any other man. So while he was sleeping, Delilah took the seven braids of his head, wove them into the fabric. I don't even know what's going on there. But it's like she's making the clothing out of his hair. I don't know, and tightened it with the pin. Again, she called to him, Samson. You the Philistines are upon you. And he awoke from his sleep, and he pulled up the pin and the loom with the fabric. And then she said to him, How can you say I love you when you won't confide in me? This is the third time you've made a fool of me and haven't told me the secret of your great strength. And with such nagging she prodded him day after day until he was sick to death of it. Don't say anything to your spouse. Don't look at your spouse. Don't nudge your spouse. Let's just move on. So, so he told her everything. No razor has ever been used on my head, he said, because I have been a Nazarite dedicated to God from my mother's womb. If my head were shaved, my strength would leave me, and I would become as weak as any other man. When Delilah saw that he had told her everything, so obviously in this point he's going, he, doesn't, he thinks he's invincible. He, he, he thinks the strength is all him. He doesn't realize that, that there's something else going on here because he tells her. When Delilah saw that he told her everything, she sent word to the rulers, rulers of the Philistines, come back once more. So she's got to convince them a little bit, come back once more. I know you got black eyes and your little bruise from Samson beating you up and everything, but come back once more. He has told me everything. And so the rulers of the Philistines returned with the silver in their hands. After putting him to sleep on her lap, she called for someone to shave off the seven braids of his hair and so began to subdue him. Gives him a little bit of a midnight makeover. And, and his strength left him. And then she called, Samson, the Philistines are upon you. And he awoke from his sleep and thought, I'll go out as before and shake myself free. But he did not know that the Lord had left him. Samson, the indestructible, the strongest man in the land, falls just like that. And this the, the rut of, of bad decision making that he's been stuck in, it turns into this sinkhole. And Samson, you know, he clearly didn't think that his strength would ever leave him. He, he's so full of himself that, that he thinks his strength is all him, not God. And even without his long hair, the Bible says that he thinks he can just, he can shake them off still, but he can't. And God put this story in the Bible for a reason. This story that would just make a crazy, awesome Hollywood script. You no, know, maybe there's a movie out there and I just don't know about it, but God put this story in the Bible for a reason, and one of the big reasons was to serve as a guide in helping us live a life with fewer bad decisions. From Samson's life, we, we, we see some of the warning signs that you're either in a rut of bad decisions or you're quickly headed towards a rut of bad decisions. One warning sign is this, you reject the wisdom of others. Right from the get-go, Samson's mom and dad are saying, hey, Samson, this girl is not the right girl for you. She's, she's bad for you. Samson, anybody else, she, don't, don't do this. But Samson just kind of shirks off their wisdom, and he just decides that he's just going to do it on his own. He's not interested in listening one bit. Listen, when, when you start rejecting the, the, the wisdom of the people in your life who love you the most, it is a, a big sign, a big warning that you are headed towards some bad decisions. When you start rejecting the wisdom of those who love you the most, it is a, it's a big warning sign in your life. It's the, the mercy of God coming along, giving you wisdom. Another warning is when you start to feel entitled to do that which you know you shouldn't. You just feel entitled. Yeah, I know I shouldn't be surfing those sites on my phone, but with all the stress I've had to endure at work, all the stress I've had to endure at home—I kind of deserve the escape. I'm, I'm, I'm entitled to that. When it comes, uh, when it becomes a reason to make a bad decision, that entitlement—you're you're headed for disaster. Another warning sign is when you continually flirt with disaster. You got Samson; he's got this lady who clearly has got some bad intentions towards him, and yet he keeps flirting with the disaster. He keeps getting. Over and over again, he keeps going back to her again and again and again. Flirting with disaster, is th- that's a sign that you are headed towards a bad decision. Another sign you're headed in the wrong direction is this. When it comes to consequences, you think that you're bulletproof. You just think consequences, oh, they're not going to affect me. Consequences are for everybody else. Maybe you don't actually say that out loud, but you, you live in such a way that that's obviously what you think. When I was a, 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 a teenager, you know, teenagers are notorious for not th- thinking that consequences will ever affect them. I was one of those teenagers. I know how it goes. I was a, a total idiot driver. I was the guy, m- me and my brother one time, we drove home a trip that should have taken 12 hours. We drove home from college in seven hours. We were absolute maniacs. I'm not one single bit proud of that. We were reaching speeds of like 125 miles an hour. We were just blowing past people like they were standing still on the highway. I drove like that all the time, just thinking, no, I'm I'm bulletproof. I even had a friend that died in a car wreck. But me, no. I'm bulletproof when it comes to consequences. And when you start to think that you're somehow immune to the consequences of your bad decisions, it's a warning sign that you're headed for some bad ones or that you're already stuck in a rut of bad decisions. It's this universal paradox that you are free to make whatever choice you want, but you're not free from the consequences of that choice. And and Samson, he doesn't heed the warnings. The Philistines, they rush in from from wherever they're at, hiding in that room. They overpower him. And next we read this. We read that the Philistines seized him. They gouged out his eyes. That sounds painful. And and they took him down to, to Gaza, binding him with With bronze shackles, they set him to grinding grain in the prison. And this is just a sad, sad picture of what happens when you just cave in to one bad decision after another bad decision after another bad decision to the point that you're you're no longer in a rut, but you're just in this sinkhole of of just your your life just becomes a mess because of these bad decisions. This is the picture staying stuck in a rut of bad decision making. Leaves a person enslaved, blind, and helpless. What's happening to Samson is a physical picture of what happens to the person who stays stuck in a rut of bad decision making. And at one time, Samson could see, but now he's blind. At one time, he's free, but now he's in prison. At one time, Samson, he could do whatever he wanted. He had all this strength. He could do whatever he wanted. And now he is completely helpless. Utterly stuck. And it's so easy, you know, you look at the story of Samson and go, oh, my goodness, what's up, what's up with this guy? How could he just, well, wow, he was a train wreck. It's easy to stand back and say that until, until we just kind of turn the, the focus inward on our own not-so-perfect lives. And how we are, are in the same boat. We make decisions all the, all the time that we know are not the right ones. You know, how often do I squander the gifts that God's given me? so that I can have some kind of personal gain from them? Or how about the, the many times that I make one bad decision after another bad decision, that a, a decision that, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm just so thick-headed, I should have learned a hundred times ago that that was the wrong decision, but I'm still making that bad decision today, giving into the same weakness over and over and over again, and in the end, finding myself imprisoned, helpless, and enslaved. And the point of this morning is not to leave you discouraged, because we all, we all do that. There's not a single one of us in the room that's, that's, that, that doesn't make bad decisions and get stuck in that rut, and if you think that that's you, that you are, then you're probably the person that's, that thinks they're bulletproof, and that's probably a sign that you're headed for a bad decision or two. But the point is not to leave you discouraged, but encouraged, and maybe you're here this morning. And you look around at your life and you're looking at Samson and all the bad decisions that he's making. How at the end of the day he ends up enslaved and he just ends up completely helpless. And you're going, my life, that, that's me. I'm, my life is a mess. My life, I'm, I'm, you don't have to talk to me about consequences, Richard. Because I just know, I, I live with the consequences of my bad decision all the time. And maybe you're here and you're going, that's you. That's me. And I've got to tell you, God has got you here this morning for a reason. He wants to bring hope where there's no hope. He wants to encourage you where you're so discouraged. He wants to help bring you on track where where you're, where you're way off track. He wants you to know life where right now you're just experiencing that helpless, being enslaved, imprisoned. And there's a sentence at the end of this Samson tragedy that's, it's for all of us who look around at the mess from our bad decisions and feel discouraged. And Samson, he's there rotting away in the dungeon. The Bible says that the hair on his head began to grow again after it had been shaved. His hair grows back. For Samson, one whose, whose role, one, one whose purpose in life is all linked to, to his hair, um, this offers tremendous, tremendous hope, doesn't it? A, a situation that seemed too far gone, now it's got signs of new life. God is healing Samson. God is restoring Samson. God is preparing Samson for a, a, a second chance. And if you're here this morning looking around at the mess that's been caused by your bad decisions, you need to know something about the God we serve. The mess caused by your bad decisions is never beyond God's ability to heal and restore, it is never beyond his ability. Ever. That is the God we serve. When we sing, God is able. We really do believe it because he is able. And every single one of us makes bad decisions. It's human to make bad decisions. And God knows that we're human. The Bible says he remembers that we're dust. In other words, he knows that we're frail. He knows that we're prone to make mistakes. He knows we're prone to make little mistakes. And, and we're prone to make some really big mistakes. Lots of them. But even in our bad decision making He works to restore. He works to heal. He works to mend that which is broken. That's the God that we serve. And it doesn't matter how enslaved you might be. It doesn't matter how blind you are or how helpless of a place that you're in. With Jesus, there's always, always, always hope. Samson's life, unfortunately, we can't look to Samson this morning and go, okay, that's, the life, that, that's, how, that's how, how, how it ends well right here, Samson's life. Samson's life did not end well. There's no record in Scripture of Samson repenting of, of all the stuff that he'd done. There's no record of, of him deciding to one day own his responsibility and lead Israel out of this oppression. There's, there's no humility. You don't see any of that in the story of Samson. In fact, the story of Samson ends with Samson being in a giant room of some sort with thousands of people, thousands of Philistines, and they pull up Samson from the dungeon and say, let's bring Samson up so we can mock and ridicule this guy. And it ends with Samson in this room praying. He, he prays, but his prayer is this, God, give me my strength one more time. And his reason was so that he could take revenge on the Philistines for, all, for the way that they treated him. It's a very self-centered prayer. But God, who's got a purpose for Samson's life, answers the prayer. And, and it gives Samson his incredible strength back one more time. And Samson's standing there in that big building. He, he knocks down the columns of this building. The whole thing collapses. And it kills 3,000 Philistine leaders. And it also kills Samson in the process. In your life, it doesn't have to end in a wreck. It doesn't have to end in that direction. If you find yourself here this morning, you're stuck in a rut of bad decisions, making one mistake after another, God's word has some wisdom on how to get unstuck. And it's basically just flipping around everything that Samson did wrong and "This this is the wisdom right here. And a lot of it has to do with humility. It's having a heart that's humble enough to first of all accept the wisdom of others humble enough to accept the wisdom of others. You've got people in your life love and care about you. Accept their wisdom. Maybe it's parents, maybe it's a spouse, maybe it's, maybe it's, uh, maybe it's a, a teacher, a pastor, but accept the wisdom of others. I love this verse that they're, they're memorizing next door over in Kids Rock. If you've got your kids dropped off over there, they've been memorizing this verse. Two people are better off than one. For they can help each other succeed. And one of the ways that they do that is by seeing things in your life that you can't quite see. It's by offering a different perspective on your situation that, that you're just, you're, you're blind to. Accept the wisdom of others. Pride says, no, I don't, I don't need the wisdom of others. I don't need the help of others. I can just figure this out on my own. Humility says, no, I need others in my life. Men, listen to your wives. Amen? No? Amen? Okay? Wives, listen to your husbands. Kids, kids, listen to your parents. Every adult in this room wishes they could go back and listen to their mom and dad's advice, at least on one one thing. If I could only go back and follow my dad's financial advice when I was a teenager, I wouldn't have bought that big car and gotten into debt first thing off in my life. If only I could go back. Listen, God puts people in your life who love and care about you for a reason. It's his grace, it's his mercy in your life. Accept, accept their wisdom. Next, be humble enough to to know your limit and don't even think of flirting with it. Know your limit. And if you've been around the gambling world, you know that the gambling world, the lottery world, the casino world, they've got this crazy little bit of advice, know your limit, play within it. That is the stupidest bit of advice ever to know your limit and play within it. Know your limit and stay as far away from that as you possibly can. The Bible says in Second 2 Timothy 2:22, it says, "Flee the evil desires of youth. Don't try to fight temptation. Flee from temptation. Don't try to flirt with disaster. Don't try to get as close as you possibly can to, the, to disaster. You know, flee from disaster. Know your limits and don't even begin to flirt with what your limit is. Don't fight temptation. Flee from it. Pride says, no, I can, I can handle it. I can handle sitting in front of my computer at 1130 at night when everybody else is in bed and those sites are so easily accessible. I can handle it. Pride says that, that I, I can handle just one more drink. I can handle spending just 50 bucks at the casino. I, I can handle it. Don't even think of flirting with your limit. Flee from it, the Bible says. Flee from temptation. And then then lastly this morning, uh, it's having a heart that's humble enough to realize that you really do need God's help in everything. You really do. You need God's help in everything. God has not designed us in such a way that we could just go through life all on our own, just ignoring him, trying to figure this thing out on our own. We need God's help in everything. Samson never realized that. I mean, he kind of clued in a little bit at one point, but only to like a certain extent. You need God's help in everything, in everything. And, and where are you trying to do life on your own? Are you trying to maybe do work on your own and maybe parent on your own? Maybe you're trying to go to school on your own. Are you trying to do it on your own. Or are you constantly letting God know you need his help? When you just try to do it all on your own, it will lead to bad decisions. It will lead to mis- mistake after mistake after mistake. You've got, you've got Jesus. Why not go to him? Why not bring him in and do life with him? And by the way, a lack of prayer, not, not bringing Jesus in on your life, is just a passive way of saying, God, I can do this on my own. I don't, I don't really need your help. Thank you very much. It's just a passive way of saying that. Bring God in on everything, because you need his help in everything. And so I don't know where you're at this morning, but I, know, I do know that God does not want you to be enslaved to whatever bad decisions that you're stuck in. God does not want you to be left blind. He doesn't want you to be in a place of just being helpless, being stuck in a place of bondage. He wants you to know freedom. He wants you to know life. He, he wants you to be on, a tra- on, uh, on His track for your life, doing things His way. His way is always the better way. It's always the better way. God's Word, God's instructions, God's laws and commands, they're there for a reason, not to make life miserable for us, but to lead us into life. His way is always the better way. And maybe this morning you need to accept the wisdom of others. Maybe it's, you need to just stop flirting with disaster. Maybe it's just realizing, okay, God, I'm, I'm going to start bringing you back into my life and accepting your help. But don't stay stuck. Let God come along and rescue you. And he wants to do that today. There's some in the room. You, he's got you here because he wants to rescue you. He wants, you set, he wants to set you free. Let him do that today. Let's pray. Lord, you put this story in the Bible for a reason. Lord, you wanted wanted us here today, sitting in this this room here in Ferndale, you wanted us to hear this story because, Lord, you want us to know freedom. You want us to know life. you, You want to set somebody free here today. And, Lord, you wouldn't have had me speak this message this morning if there wasn't somebody here this morning who needed to hear this. So, Lord, I pray for whoever that might be, someone that's just stuck Lord, I pray, Jesus, that this morning you would give enough courage, humility, Lord, for for us to say we need your help. We've been doing things our own way, but we're just coming back to you and doing things your way. We surrender, and, and we're just coming back to you. Lord, I pray that you would begin this morning to just set us free. Lord, may we never be content to just settle for a life of just being stuck in that sinkhole of bad decisions and just doing things our way, the wrong way. Lord, may we, this morning, just hear your voice calling out to us saying, there is a better way. Come to me. Come to me. There's a better way. Lord, bring freedom, I pray. In your name, Jesus. Amen. 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 Amen.